Aloha. I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak. Welcome to The Body Show. Each week we talk about health and fitness, but none of what we discuss replaces a visit to your own primary care provider. Concussion. Not only is it the title of a new film out in theaters right now, but it's also a serious medical condition that can lead to significant health problems later on if someone suffers from serious brain trauma. The medical community has known about it for a while, at least with certain sports like boxing, but now with the discoveries taking place in the football arena, more research needs to be done. One of the scariest findings is actually the absence of one. Most folks who suffer concussions, even repeated ones, can have normal CT scans of the brain. So what's really going on here? Well, today we have two guests. We have Dr. Sandeep Vaishnavi, co-author of The Traumatized Brain, a publication from Hopkins Health Press that helps to give patients and their families a detailed plan to address some of the lesser-known issues regarding those who suffer from traumatic brain injuries, including concussions. Dr. Vaishnavi is the director of the Neuropsychiatric Clinic at Carolina Partners, graciously on the line from the East Coast to help share his expertise in dealing with brain injuries. And we also have Adam Slabicki, a professional athletic trainer from St. Francis School's three-year-old varsity football program here in the studio. He's going to address the real-world scenario of what parents and loved ones can do now if they have concerns about the state of athletics in Hawaii and how a first responder deals with concussions when they happen live in the field. And as always, you can join our discussion as well. And our phone lines are open if you have ever suffered a concussion or want to find out more about what happens if you have more than one. You can always join us at 941-3689, toll-free neighbor islands, 877-941-3689. Dr. Sandeep, Adam, welcome to The Body Show. Thank you very much. Thank you. And thanks for joining us there, Dr. Sandeep. You're calling all the way from the East Coast five hours later. It's about 10 p.m. there. And uh, we appreciate you being on. I wanted to start with you because I recently was looking through your book, The Traumatized Brain. And it sort of describes for families how to deal with some of the lesser recognized complications of people who have traumatic brain injuries, mood issues, memory issues, behavior, anxiety, mania, insomnia. It's a really good way for people to understand some of the potential consequences and gives people some really good steps on how to help those they love who are dealing with some of these issues. What inspired you to write The Traumatized Brain? Well, one thing is that traumatic brain injury is a huge public health concern. I mean, that's one of the reasons that, of course, we're talking about it, and the press has uh, become more involved, and there are people more cognizant about it. So it's important that people understand uh, that it is, it is crucial to, get, uh, to take it seriously. So that was one thing. And so luckily, I think the, the media is helping with that. The second reason for writing the book was to focus on some of these longer-term consequences, potential consequences of brain injury, like these mood and memory and behavioral issues, neuropsychiatric issues, because that oftentimes is not looked at closely or it's not uh, considered to be so relevant oftentimes uh, when patients go through the recovery process. But ultimately, it turns out that those are the symptoms that really are there in the long term, which can cause tremendous problems. So let's talk briefly on the medical standpoint, because, you know, not all concussions lead to serious problems. Not all traumatic brain injuries are from concussions. 
help to tease out those two different things for us. What would you, how would you define concussion? Sure. So I think the easiest way to think about it is that concussion is a kind of traumatic brain injury. So a concussion is a mild traumatic brain injury. So we divide traumatic brain injuries, or TBIs for short, into mild, moderate, and severe. And uh, we have different ways of classifying them, but one way is by, conscious, by loss of consciousness and how long people lose consciousness. So with a mild traumatic brain injury, there can be no loss of consciousness potentially or loss of consciousness up to 30 minutes. Moderate would be more than that. Severe would be more than that. So that's one way. There are many other ways to look at it. But So to, to have a diagnosis of mild traumatic brain injury or a concussion, you have to have at least a moment of being dazed or confused after impact. And that's really critical. That separates out a true traumatic brain injury or a concussion from just hitting your head against the wall as you're walking by or something like that. Um, so, I mean, that is by itself is not a traumatic brain injury or a concussion. You have to have dazing or confusion. And there could be loss of consciousness, but in, the, in concussions, uh, sometimes there isn't. There aren't. Uh, you don't actually lose consciousness. Well, that's an important point. So after you have the injury, if you hit your head and you go, oh, that hurt, and I'm not dazed or confused, technically that would not fit under the category of concussion. Correct. That's right. The other thing that I found really interesting is that you can have, an, in fact, in most cases with a concussion, you will have a normal CT scan, a normal CAT scan of the brain. That's right. Yes, absolutely. Because the CT scan, uh, the CAT scan is really best at looking at blood in the brain. Uh, so with a more severe traumatic brain injury, you may actually have blood in the brain. And it's important to take a look at that because if there is blood in the brain that increases pressure inside the skull and uh, the brain has only so much space to move around, and that can be really a big, big problem. So if there is blood in the brain, uh, surgeons may need to go in and actually evacuate or take out the blood. But with a concussion or a mild traumatic brain injury, you generally don't have that, actually. So the CT scan will look normal. So now I'd like to talk with Adam for for a moment. Adam, you're a professional athletic trainer. Now, that doesn't just mean that you, hey, you used to play sports and you like to help other people now. You're actually, you have to go through a certification process to be able to be an athletic trainer. Is that right? Yes, that's correct. What do you see when you are dealing with Sports. Now, you don't just deal with football, although that is one of the areas where we're talking today about some of the head injuries, but you mentioned even for yourself, cheerleading was something that led to you having an injury when you were in school, and most people wouldn't necessarily think of that. So what are some of the sports that, that you see people getting concussions with? Okay, so it really it doesn't necessarily have to have or be a result of a head-to-head collision, so it could be anything where there's like a a severe shock to the body. So it could be football, wrestling, cheerleading, um, water polo even, judo, soccer, basketball. Really, there's a a, a huge amount of possibility to get a concussion. So when you see folks, now you're, you're there on the field, and so when you see this happen, do you see some of the students, let's talk football for a moment, when they get hit and or have this experience where they've been injured, do you find that more often than not they're dazed and confused for a moment? Or do you feel like a lot of times that's not part of what they're experiencing? I, I think probably more often than not, definitely, um, you, you notice some, some dazing and confusion. 
but it it is difficult to to do a sideline assessment because concussions are 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 tough to categorize because there's there's not one certain set of signs or symptoms that you're going to see consistently. So you have to be really ready to to look at anything. And so for those folks who are dazed and confused, they might meet more of the criteria like Dr. Vishnavi saying, and hey, these these kids may have a concussion and some of the other ones may or may not um, might have milder symptoms that really didn't lead to that dazed and confused. Yeah, they hit their head, but it didn't cause something that bad. When you see somebody who you've defined has a concussion, you mentioned that there's a whole bunch of different symptoms, and, and they might not all be the same, although dazed and confused is a good place to start. Mm-hmm. What are some of the other symptoms? You're on the field. What do you yep. see? So um, sometimes mood changes, like irrational anger and sadness. Like w- one time a kid got got a concussion, and I was I was walking him off the field to see his parents. He just spontaneously started crying. Um, so And you can have dizziness and balance issues, which are – a result of like vestibular damage. Um, And you're seeing this on the field. Yes. As you're there on the sidelines and walking in to help get the athlete, walk them off. You're actually physically seeing some of these changes. Mm -hmm. Yep. And then some of the other ones that you don't necessarily see right up front, but that you, you know, interview and ask questions about later. Um, Mood changes or um, excuse me, um, trouble sleeping, um, diet, dietary changes. It, It, it's really anything that you kind of see that I feel like is out of the ordinary for that particular um, person can potentially be attributed to the brain injury, I think. So it really um, becomes important to, to know your athlete. You know, that's, the, I think, the most important thing to remember. So you're dealing with these kids and helping them every day. You get to know their normal mood, their normal affect, and you can probably detect any of those more subtle changes that you notice in those students because you're dealing with them on a regular basis. Absolutely, yes. Now, in the, imme- in the immediate future, there might be some issues with school performance, and that could be something that might affect them long into the future. Mm-hmm. Um, if you're not doing well, you're a junior, you're a senior, and you're about to go send out your college applications, failing a few classes is a huge deal. So do you think we truly, and I would say this is a broader term, do, does society and or parents in general understand the potential long-range implications of having somebody injure their head multiple times, or are we just learning those things now? The latter, I think, is definitely true. Yeah, that's, I think that's the number one thing that I tell people um, when they ask me about concussions is that they have to remember the people that know the most in the world about TBIs realistically really don't know that much, you know, as far as the whole picture is concerned. So I think there's definitely a lot to learn and um, being open-minded looking into the future is imperative. All right. And Dr. Fishnavi, now you're dealing with people that you see on a regular basis. And when you see some of those folks, like Adam deals with the students who are on the field who have the injury, do you often see people over a longer continuum of their care? Yes, I, I typically do uh, see patients as they've uh, gone through the acute process. In other words, you know, they've, they've kind of resolved some of the more immediate symptoms perhaps, but then they're left with some more chronic symptoms. And this doesn't happen in, in every case by any means. Uh, in fact, for most concussions, most people do in fact recover within a certain time period, weeks to a few months. So I don't want to uh, give the impression that people don't recover. They, they generally do. But the issue is that if there are repeated concussions, that's really the critical thing. Uh, if you have multiple head injuries or brain injuries over time, it's possible that the effects can accum- accumulate. And in fact, um, that's kind of the, 
the hypothesis now for something called chronic traumatic encephalopathy, or CTE, which is a neuropathological diagnosis. Uh, this is related to National Football League players. Uh, there's a movie called Concussion with Will Smith that's out right now that tells the story of a neuropathologist who basically came up with uh, some of these ideas, and he saw changes in brain on auto- on brains on autopsy of uh, football players. And, and basically the idea is that if you have multiple brain injuries over time, um, that may not be a good thing. And in some people, not everyone, but in some people that can actually lead to neurodegenerative changes in the brain. So I, the way I categorize this just for brain injury in general, including concussions, is that the symptoms that I uh, look at are basically threefold. There are general physical symptoms, such as uh, dizziness, as, as was just mentioned, dizziness, headaches, sensitivity to light, sensitivity to sound, those kinds of symptoms. Then there are behavioral symptoms um, that can occur or mood symptoms, so mood swings, sadness, um, just having changes in your normal personality, and then cognitive symptoms such as memory and attention, focusing issues, having trouble processing information. So those are just general categories, but those are the kinds of symptoms that I see. Now, I'm curious because I had an assignment this weekend, and, and I, I must say I did my homework. Have you seen the movie Concussion? Well, I'm afraid I have to say I haven't quite gotten there. I haven't okay. actually seen it yet, but I have uh, read uh, You've heard the, the story, yeah. That, that, yeah, that's, that uh, the movie is based on. Um, but, yeah, I'm, I'm glad this is, this is out. It's a great public service, I think, in many ways to let people understand that these things can have consequences, even if it's just, quote-unquote, just a concussion, if it's just having your bell rung, quote-unquote. I mean, these are the terms that people used to use a lot, and, and just to try to minimize them and say it's no big deal, it's part of the sport. Well, it is, but you do want to be mindful about that because intuitively I think we, we can say that it's just not a good idea to hit your head repeatedly. And not just that, um, it's not necessarily even uh, concussive-level uh, symptoms. I mean, for example, you know, we're saying concussion is a mild traumatic brain injury, but kids or others playing sports may actually have their heads jostled, their, their brains jostled in their skulls, even if it's not to the point of having a true concussive injury, as what we call a subconcussive injury. Even that, over time, may add up and may accumulate. So we don't know for sure, and we don't know why some people are more vulnerable to this kind of injury and long-term damage and consequences than other people. So there's some controversy about this still, but I think in generally it's, good, it's a good idea to be prudent about these issues. Well, I agree. And in fact, you know, you read the book from Dr. Bennett Omalu and his description of the real discovery of CTE and what does this mean? And, you know, I'll tell you, you know, I had a chance to see the movie. Adam, I think you saw it earlier today. And, you know, what struck me on that movie was that something that I think a lot of people don't realize and that, you know, for me as a physician, it was the scans are normal and yet the behavior and cognition may not be. And the physical symptoms, as you mentioned, those three areas are are totally off based on looking at a normal scan. And you sort of get to see how people have experienced these mood issues, these behavior issues, whether it be anger or aggression or just knowing that something's going wrong and not knowing what it is. And the key is that no matter how many times you would scan those folks' brains, it would be normal. You mentioned a neuropathological diagnosis. What that means is... On autopsy, slices of the brain are looked at under a microscope, and you see stuff, and the stuff you see 
doesn't look normal. And that was one of the areas that I have to say surprised me the most is that in addition to during the movie, you see these these players and they're falling on their head. And in fact, the audience would cringe when they would see somebody else who is injuring their head like like you would see from like the replay reel or something. And I just looked and I went, you know, like you mentioned, how do you know? At the very end, they said it's estimated about 20, 28% of players have some type of evidence of CTE. And it's not yet diagnosed while they're alive, but it's something that is a retrospective diagnosis. Do you think we'll ever get to the point where we could diagnose it while somebody's still alive? And if so, what could we do about it? Well, uh, there is hope that that can happen. I mean, we do know that in CTE, there's an accumulation of a certain kind of protein called a tau protein, and that's important in other neurodegenerative diseases, including Alzheimer's disease. So we, we do have uh, some idea of uh, uh, what, what's going on in the brains of people who have these repetitive concussions and who have these changes in the brain. And uh, w- there are actually some types of scans, uh, particularly a scan called a PET scan, which is basically a nuclear imaging type of scan where you look at blood flow and things like that. In Alzheimer's disease, there's, for Alzheimer's disease, uh, there's actually a kind of a PET scan now called an amyloid PET scan that looks at certain proteins called amyloid proteins in the brain, which accumulate in Alzheimer's disease. And so we can actually look at that now. Now, we don't have anything like that for CTE, but I'm just saying that uh, it could be something kind of like that. It could be something parallel to that that may develop for CTE to help with diagnosis while still alive. So, but that's the future. We don't know if that's going to actually pan out or develop or not, but that kind of imaging technology might be the way to go in the future for it. Uh, but until then, I think it's just very important to, to look at a couple of things. One is that it is true that a large number of uh, professional football players may indeed have CTE, but Again, not everyone has it, and there's also a little bit of a bias, uh, we would say an observation bias here, in the sense that the pathology is done on people whose brains were donated by their families because they thought that there might be something going on. Sure, absolutely. You know, you have to take that into account. So that might be an overestimate of the amount of actual CTE out there. But on the other hand, you know, who wants to take a chance on that? Right, So we want to be really cautious and careful about that and be on top of it and really try to be prudent and not have uh, head-to-head collisions as much as possible. Uh, the American Academy of Pediatrics has actually come out with uh, some treatment guidelines, recommendations to avoid head-to-head collisions in football and other sports and try to minimize uh, these kinds of things. And it, it makes sense to me that you'd want to do that. On the other hand, sports is very important. It's really important for health and you know we don't want our kids to become obese and there's already an obesity issue anyway already in the country so you have to balance those two things you want to play sports you want to advocate for sports but at the same time you want to be prudent about it sure and be safe all right i'm dr kathleen kozak here in the studio with adam slabicki and he is a professional athletic trainer for saint francis and also on the line dr sandeep vishnavi who is the co-author of the traumatized brain and when we come back we're going to talk some more about some of the potentials for scans that are looking at various things in the brain like dr vishnavi just mentioned and we'll also take your call if you or someone you love has suffered from multiple concussions what do you need to do to help 
your loved one recover as best as they can. You can join us at 941-3689, toll-free neighbor islands 877-941-3689. We'll be right back after this quick break. Stay with us. Poet Dunya Mikhail discusses living under Saddam Hussein's regime and how during the Gulf War her mother thought it crucial to prepare a room to protect them from chemical warfare. The other important reason for her was that nobody should leave, that we either die together or live together. Dunya Mikhail and her books, The Iraqi Nights, Diary of a Wave Outside the Sea, and The War Works Hard on the next New Letters on the Air. Tuesday evening at 6.30. Karen Allison's interpretations of Rodgers and Hammerstein have just won her a fifth Grammy nomination for Jazz Vocal Album of the Year. Come appreciate her sophisticated artistry live in concert Friday, January 22nd or Saturday the 23rd in HPR's Atherton Studio. Purchase tickets by calling 955-8821 during business hours or at hprtickets.org. Sponsored by Bonnie Rice and the Rice Partnership, Wealth Management. Support for The Body Show comes from the HPR Local Talk Show Fund, which helps Hawaii Public Radio sustain and grow its locally produced talk show programming. Mahalo to contributors Bush Consulting and Sacred Hearts Academy. Welcome back to The Body Show. I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak here in the studio, and today we're talking about concussions and traumatic brain injuries, and what are some of the long-term implications that a lot of folks aren't necessarily fully aware of, of what can happen if you've had these types of brain injuries, and you're wondering why it is that you feel or act differently than you used to. Now, we have a guest on the line. We have Dr. Sandeep Vaishnavi. He is the co-author of The Traumatized Brain. He is also a specialist in the Neuropsychiatric Center at the Carolina Partners coming in from the East Coast and helping stay on the line and help share his expertise with us. We also have Adam Slabicki, who is a professional athletic trainer at St. Francis School, talking about what it's really like to have a concussion and what do you do when you're the trainer and these students are on the field and you want to help them to recover and also help them to get better and not have recurrent injuries. Now, before the break, we were talking with Dr. Vishnavi about different ways that potentially we could diagnose this. And, you know, Dr. Sandeep, you mentioned something about an amyloid scan. And actually, there is one out there with a biomarker called Amivid, and it's an Amivid scan that we've actually, you know, I've had a couple of folks who have had these done on the mainland. And what it does is it's a PET scan, a positive emission tomogram. And basically it highlights areas of the brain that have this particular marker present. And so it was very interesting because one one individual I'm thinking of in particular had the scan done in California, and he kind of had some mild memory loss issues. And yet when he did the scan, it showed moderate to severe amounts of these amyloid plaques, which was a little surprising because it didn't really correlate with how he was acting. But boy, wasn't that a useful piece of information for his family? He started on some of the medicines now. Hopefully that'll help him because he really hasn't progressed with symptoms. But, you know, it's one of those things where really helpful to know that this is what you're dealing with in your mild memory loss where, oh, I forgot somebody's name or, oh, I forgot where I put something is really a sign of something bigger and more concerning. So there's definitely hope. I, I think that there's hope for trying to find a similar biomarker for the tau protein, which is the one that has been associated with the chronic traumatic encephalopathy, the CTE. So I'm optimistic, Dr. Vishnavi, I'm optimistic we're going to find a way to diagnose this when people are alive because 
Otherwise, honestly, the scans that we do are not sensitive enough to detect this. Now, I also wanted to ask you, what do you think we could do if we find somebody who has CTE with our current medications and what we have in our arsenal? Is there anything you can think of that would help somebody with the diagnosis? Or as your book describes, is it more related to helping with the symptoms and using some of our current medications, antidepressants or anti-anxiety medicines? Are those helpful in this condition? Yes, uh, there are things that can be done, actually. And uh, in the book, um, the, the Traumatized Brain, we talk a lot about neural circuitry and uh, just understanding what circuits are involved in terms of what function in the brain. And that's important because that helps people understand, well, you know, now, if there are these mood changes or memory changes or behavioral changes, well, what exactly is causing them? Uh, why, why is this occurring in my loved one, for example? So it's important to look at that. And based on that information, uh, there are medications that can kind of uh, tailor, that are tailored more towards damage in certain parts of the brain. Of course, they, medicines work in terms of receptors and neurotransmitters or chemicals in the brain, but the receptors and chemicals are different in different parts of the brain in different circuits, and so all the information is relevant and useful. Ultimately, at this point, though, we do treat the symptoms, and so if we see, say, uh, irritability and agitation, oh, there are certain medications that can help with that, which we use for other conditions as well. So um, there are a couple of medicines that are actually more specific to the neuropsychiatric symptoms of brain injury in general. That includes traumatic brain injury. There's a medicine called amantadine, which is an old medicine that uh, was used originally for, well, for several things, for the flu, actually, as well as for Parkinson's disease. But we now use it in terms of uh, helping people who have impulsivity, trouble controlling their impulses, or are disinhibited, in other words, their behaviors are off because of brain injury. So that medication may help with those kinds of symptoms. It tends to help more in the frontal lobe region of the brain, which is where a lot of these uh, faculties are housed normally in the brain. So if you have damage to the frontal lobes, then you can have some of these behavioral changes occur. And by the way, in traumatic brain injury and concussions, uh, the frontal lobes tend to be very vulnerable to injury. So we can oftentimes see these kinds of symptoms. So amantadine is an example. There's also something called uh, pseudobulbar affect, or PBA, which you may get after traumatic brain injury. And that's where people have trouble controlling the expression of their emotions. And I think um, that, that the other guest was actually talking a little bit about that in the example that he gave where, um, where the athlete was crying um, suddenly after the brain injury. Um, that could be depression, but it could also be the pseudobulbar affect where the athlete had trouble, the student had trouble controlling his emotions and he just suddenly broke down crying. So there is a medicine specifically for that as well. It's called Nudexa. So there are a number of different things that are, that are there that are available, but in general we do use, symptoms, we use medications that we use for other conditions. So for depression we use SSRI medicines like uh, Zoloft or uh, Celexa, et cetera. And uh, for mood stability, we use mood stabilizers, uh, which are also anti-seizure medicines. Um, and for aggression, we can use antipsychotic medicines. So there's a wide variety of medicines that we, we do have available. 
Well, and that's good. It's good news to know that, you know, and part of what your what your writing documents is that there are some simple things people can do at home. There are some medication things that can be done with their doctor if necessary. And there are some lifestyle changes that may need to take place just to accommodate some of the folks who now have different changes going on in their lives and their family members may not understand all of these issues and, you know, want to figure out how they can best help. Adam, you mentioned that, you know, when you see people immediately at the event when they have a concussion, you've seen some of that emotional lability, just all of a sudden crying. What are some of the things that you've noticed as you've watched students over the last year or so when they've had a head injury and how they come back to you and what they're like? Okay. Um, one, one of the biggest things is they're, they're having trouble just reconciling with what's going on in their brain, right? So on top of just the inherent um, mood issues that come with a concussion. Well, and teenagers aren't moody at all. Yeah, right? exactly. I was one. I'm certain. Yeah. Of it. So, so that's compounded by just the lack of understanding and the frustration. Like, if you're a straight A student and all of a sudden, you know, you can't remember your times tables, like that, that can be pretty distressful as well. Okay, if I was a straight A student and I was, and I got a B, I was distressed. Yeah. Yeah. So I couldn't imagine if you have something even worse than that. That would, yeah, I'm with you on the distress part. Okay. Exactly. Yeah. So there's there's and there's so much pressure here, you know, in, in some of the scholastic institutions to just do so well. So I remember hearing of a story where um, a, a girl was concussed, a student athlete was, and she was going to, you know, one of the, um, I, I suppose, uh, more challenging schools on the island. And she was being accommodated very well by her pe- uh, teachers, parents, coaches, and everything, but came to find out she wasn't getting any better because she was staying up late, sneaking, doing her homework because she didn't want to fall behind. Right. So there's there's things like that where you just it's it's just constant vigilance, I think, is is the biggest thing, because you never really know what's going on inside of these these people's heads. You know, they're, they're basically just kind of scrambled up a little bit. Well, and the fact that she was sneaking doing homework, I mean, that's often most parents dream, right? You're yeah. doing homework and you're 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 studying harder. But in this particular situation, it could actually be holding her back from getting better, as you mentioned. Absolutely. We've got a couple of callers on the line. We've got Paul on the line from Maui. Paul, welcome to The Body Show. Aloha, Dr. Kozak, and your guests. I'm really grateful for the opportunity to have a chat with you. I saw the movie Concussion, and in the film, it made a point about the fact that the National Football League and football in general being the obsession that it is, the cultural obsession that it is, it's also a very big business, you know, resulting in millions of dollars of money that goes to colleges, billions of dollars that goes to jobs um, throughout the country, where cities actually are dependent upon the economy from this. Um, isn't the cost of um, these traumatic brain injuries, isn't that just the cost, just like war, PTSD is the cost of war, and you know, um, insurance companies figure out, well, what the actuarial costs are, and they say, well, the cost is, cost is worth the benefit, basically. Isn't, isn't that kind of what um, what's going on here, that this is just the cost? And what really needs to be done is that the football players need to be treated after they retire, and they need to be looked at and taken care of, just like soldiers. You know, it used to be soldiers would come home, and they got, if they committed suicide or anything like that, they were, they, were, they were yellow or they were cowards. Now we know that the fact of the matter is, is that going to war causes trauma. Well, going, playing football also causes trauma, so... It's just the cost of it, and now we need to just take care of them. And I'll take my 
answer off the air. Thank you very much, and ha'oli makahiki ho. Well, it's a really good point, Paul, you know, and what you bring up is the fact that, you know, from this point onwards, now that there is an issue and the NFL has stated, yes, we know that repetitive brain trauma can cause further problems later in life. And part of the whole settlement has looked at, you know, what are the diagnoses that are associated with this? And they've mentioned CTE, they've mentioned dementia, they've mentioned ALS or amelotrophic lateral sclerosis, which is another neurologic condition. And so from this point onwards, can anyone say they didn't know? I think that's the one key, which is no. I think there's enough information in the media and in the public and even with this movie to say, okay, be forewarned, this could happen. But I guess the other question that comes up is, is there a way to consider the cost of somebody's life and or brain and or existence versus the billions of dollars of profit? And I think, you know, as a, as a medical doctor, if we take money out of the equation, we're dealing with a medical problem. And how would we fix this? How would science fix this condition? Could we figure out better ways to play the game, better ways to tackle improved helmets that can actually provide more safety, improved something? Could there be a different way to structure it so that there could still be, you know, your Monday night or Sunday football and yet not cause as much damage to the body? So, you know, same thing could be said for gymnastics. A lot of people who are gymnasts wind up getting arthritis of the joints, and they know that as they go into it. And, you know, we can give them a joint replacement should they need it, but we can't really replace the brain. So, you know, it's it's an interesting question, and I'd be curious, I'd be curious, Dr. Sandeep, what your thoughts are. Um, I don't know if you had a chance to hear Paul's comment, but... I did. Good. Okay. So I'm curious, you know, the movie really brought out the fact that, hey, maybe this is just something that we know is going to happen. And even with the multi-million dollar settlement that has been proposed for the retired players of the NFL, is it enough to say, hey, we know this could be a problem. This is the cost of doing business and the cost is worth it. And I guess that's a difficult question as as a physician. And, you know, Adam, I'm going to ask you the same thing. At what point do we can we make those dollar and cents kind of equations make sense? I don't know if they ever could, but it, I do realize there's not an unlimited supply of money in healthcare. What could we do? So I'm curious what your thoughts are on it, Dr. Sandy. Yes, I think it's a, actually a really interesting, really good question. Um, uh, I've, I've read, and I believe this is accurate, that the NFL may be the actual single most valuable brand in the United States. So, yes, this is huge money. We're dealing with a huge amount of money. And uh, the dreams of you know, millions of people, and of course the entertainment of millions of people. So uh, that I understand. I mean, there's definitely a, a monetary value to this. Uh, on the other hand, as you mentioned, we do have to look at people's lives and their brains and what's worth that monetary value. Uh, I think the, the thing to keep in mind here is that I think it's important now that, that all of this has come more into the fore and the media has has sort of latched on it. Luckily, I think that people who are now going into the NFL, players that are now going to the NFL, they will be cognizant much more so now about the risks that uh, that are in, that in, are entailed in this kind of game. So it's important for people to know beforehand that hey, this could happen. I think in the past that wasn't so clear, and I think people are still learning about it, of course. But I think they're much more likely to understand that yes, people can have multiple concussions and that can lead to long-term consequences. That's really the bottom line there. Um, now, most people, of course, who play football, though, don't end up playing for the NFL. And I think we really have to focus on that as well. 
So we're talking about young kids, um, middle school, high school players or college players who won't end up going to the NFL, but they may also have a lot of concussive hits or even sub-concussive hits or sometimes even more severe brain injuries. And uh, it's important. I think that's where the public health issue is is primarily, is that for kids, for, for younger people, well, you know, the parents should know about the risks involved. And as I said earlier, the American Academy of Pediatrics, as well as the American Academy of Neurology, there are all these organizations that have now been involved in terms of giving some guidelines and making sure that parents and kids and everyone know the risks that are involved in not just football, but also hockey and uh, gymnastics and uh, other sports. So any kind of a sports where you, your brain is jostled within your skull um, can be potentially dangerous. And so it's a risk-benefit risk analysis, I think. It's just like in anything else in life. I mean, there are always risks. There are benefits, and you have to kind of weigh the two against each other. Um, I think that for people who are, have a chance to play in the NFL, they may say that, well, you know what, it's worth it. The monetary value is worth it. The fame is worth it, potentially, et cetera. But they should be able to make that decision and have full input and information. Similarly, for kids and uh, other people who are not going to be professional players, well, they need to understand that as well. And maybe it's not worth it for some kids to be playing contact sports like this and doing head-to-head tackles and so forth. So I think those are my general thoughts. I think that you have to really compare the risks to the benefits, and it may be different for different groups of people. Well, and you're right. I mean, it was a really good observation by Paul. I'm curious, Adam, am I just naive to think that maybe we could change the rules to make it safer? Is that just silly of me as a non-football player, not so sporty kind of person that I am? Is it is it crazy to think that would be the case? Or could we look at the way that the game is played in our youth and make it safer for the growing brains of the children in such a way that maybe they're not doing, I don't even know if they do, head-to-head combat or, or like injuring one another or tackling. I mean, is there a way to make sports safer for students? Uh, yeah, there definitely are. And there are uh, measures being put in right now, um, you know, Little League or, not, excuse me, like Pee Wee football, um, mostly working on tackling techniques, right? So trying to almost emulate uh, rugby-style tackling and play. But I, th- I think the biggest part of it is that takes away some of the electrifying hits and and just the, the huge excitement of somebody being lit up. You know, like in the concussion movie, one of the first segments that they showed was um, like a voiceover of a, a sports center segment that they used to do called Jacked Up, right? And you hear the um, commentators just getting so, so excited by these guys you know, killing each other, and but people live for that. You know, so I think I think we have to, like, like you said, there's a risk to reward ratio, definitely, and I just think that the common perception of that is very very skewed right now, and um, maybe the movie will bring out that educational piece. So, you know, as as Dr. Vishnavi has said, if you go into it with the full knowledge that there could be a problem. And, you know, you if you join the military, you could be deployed, you could be sent off to war. That's something that you understand when you join and you agree to and you know what that means. And you're given full knowledge to make that decision yourself. If you have the knowledge, can you make that decision for yourself? And as a parent, can you make that decision for your child? Mm-hmm. And are is there a way to make it safer? And I guess I think sure there is. And could we change something so that we don't glorify the, quote, jacked up sort of replays? 
I bet we could. You know, I mean, I sat in the movie theater and people were literally cringing when they saw people have certain injuries. And I think it's just because there might be this nature of wanting to see something exciting on TV, but we also tend to feed into it when we replay it again and mm-hmm. slow-mo and let's watch it from all these different angles. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's like those gruesome videos that you see on Facebook or YouTube. Don't watch this if you're if you're weak at, at heart. And I'm like, oh, I got to watch it because, you know, what could that be? But I mean, it's, it's a challenge, right? So to sort of change how we frame it might also be another way to do it. But very interesting comment, Paul. And, you know, I mean, that's a side of it that we may not necessarily look at. Is it just the cost of doing business? In which case, you know, should we look at it from that perspective? It's it's a really good point. I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak here in the studio. I have Dr. Sandeep Vishnavi on the line, author of The Traumatized Brain. He is associated with the Neuropsychiatric Institute over at um, the Carolina Partners. And he has been working there and also associated with Duke as well and really helping people to understand the long-term consequences of what's going on with brain trauma. And in the studio, we also have Adam Slabicki. He is a professional athletic trainer for St. Francis, talking about the hands-on, what's happening in the field, what's going on as you see the players out there, and how can we make it safer for our kids and future adults. And you're also there as well. And when we come back after this quick break, we will take more calls at 941-3689, toll-free neighbor islands, 877-941-3689. If you've seen the movie or even if you haven't, do you have any thoughts or loved ones who have had experiences with repetitive head trauma? And if so, what have you noticed and what things do you think could help others to to help their loved ones to get better? We'll be right back after this quick break. Stay with us. Next time on the New Yorker Radio Hour, we'll visit a garage where dozens of cars wait for their starring turn in Hollywood movies. You could be almost anywhere. You pop a 49 car there and it transforms the setting to the year of the car. Lenny Schiller's Garage next time on the New Yorker Radio Hour. Hear this New Year's Eve special Thursday afternoon at 5. Kiwana Torres Kahele returns to HPR's Atherton Studio on January 9th for an evening of music from his two most recent releases. He'll accompany these new songs for Maui and Kauai with stories of the song's origins. Call 955-8821 during business hours or go to hprtickets.org for Kuana Torres Kahele on Saturday the 9th. Sponsored by Bonnie Rice and the Rice Partnership Wealth Management. Support for The Body Show comes from the HPR Local Talk Show Fund, whose contributors help Hawaii Public Radio sustain and grow its locally produced talk show programming. Mahalo to the St. Andrews Schools, which includes the Priory School for Girls, the Prep for Boys, and Queen Emma Preschool. Welcome back to The Body Show. I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak here in the studio with Adam Slabicki. He is a professional athletic trainer for St. Francis. And on the line, we have Dr. Sandeep Vishnavi. He is author of The Traumatized Brain, A Family Guide to Understanding Mood Behavior and Memory After Brain Injury. And before the break, we were talking with Paul from Maui, who had a really interesting comment. You know, hey, you know what? Maybe this is just the cost of doing business, and that's something we should accept very interesting analogy and a thought about what was presented in the movie to try and help balance out the discussion. Uh, we also have Jane on the line from Kaneohe. And Jane, I want to welcome you and thank you for being so patient. What can we do for you today on The Body Show? Uh, yes. Hi. Good evening. And uh, thank you for taking my call. Um, I enjoy your program. 
Um, I am calling just to kind of uh, make a comment because I'm a nurse and I worked for many years in head injury um, back with Dr. Robert Sloan many years ago at the rehab hospital and then in Philadelphia I also did. Um, and I, I do remember some things that he taught us about head injury because he's um, been on the advisory board for many, um, you know, athletic programs, boxing association in the state, um, high school sports uh, advisory boards for head injury. And um, one thing that I always remembered, and it kind of has to do with uh, common sense, um, and because I'm also a mom and my son played high school football for Calheo. And um, it's really hard to watch your kid take hits. He was he was a defensive uh, tackle, and um, and it was very hard to watch. Um, and uh, but I do think that um, the one comment I wanted to make was that he taught us a lot about using common sense as a way to help prevent injury and making sure your kid's helmet fits, making sure that you know they're wearing their equipment, um, that if something's wrong they report it. But one of the things that I, I thought when we were talking about people who have taken kids who have taken hits or people who have had head injury um, and uh, things to look for, um, you know, uh, like a, like signals to show that something is wrong is I remember him saying that a patient who suffered a head injured head injury um, should ultimately be getting better as time goes on. And I think that if you see that their symptoms are worsening, um, even in a little way, um, physiologically or cognitively, um, that's usually a signal that something's wrong. And it's kind of a, like a common sense way to say, "Boy, I better get him or she, you know, some get get this person to the hospital, get this person to the doctor um, for you know further evaluation." So I guess the point he was making is that. Um, is that when people have injury, um, it's it just kind of a natural progression that they should probably, uh, without anything, you know, without any other problems interfering, um, they should be getting better. But if you start to start, if you start seeing seizures or cognitive problems or something, then it's often a sign that you know there is something going on, and um, you need to kind of get that looked at pretty pretty right away, I guess. Well, it's some really good comments, Jane. I think one of the most important things that you did was you mentioned the, you know, the common sense stuff, make sure the equipment fits. And I mean, it sounds silly, but it really isn't. If the equipment doesn't fit right, if the helmet isn't sized correctly, if it's damaged in some way, if it pinches too much and people leave it on too loose or any of the other protective equipment, start with the basics. And then the other point is very well taken. You should get better over time. And if you're getting worse, something else is wrong. You should get checked out. And I think, Dr. Vishnavi, I'm sure that you've had a similar experience where, you know, you'll see people who have had repetitive episodes of trauma, uh, brain trauma, and you'll see them. And, you know, there is a point at which there's an irreversibility component to this. And it might just be because after the first injury or the second, they didn't know enough to not allow it to continue. And now you're dealing with some of the long-term consequences. Have you seen that in your practice? Yes, absolutely. Uh, That's absolutely right. Uh, yeah, it is important to uh, to take each injury seriously. I mean, as as you mentioned, um, as the caller mentioned, uh, people do tend to get better with concussions over time. And but if you have com- uh, concussions that are repeated, that you're having 
repetitively over time, um, then you may not have that kind of recovery, or you may have a suboptimal recovery. So in other words, you get a little bit better, but you don't get back to your previous baseline. Well, and, and I can just have, picture, sure, if somebody gets yeah. in a concussion in sports, and then what if they get in a car accident, and right. what if after that they fall down the stairs? I mean, these sound like what worse luck could happen for someone, right? But this is reality, and sometimes these things happen, and it's not its not even that you go back into the game and you're not completely recovered. It might just be life that intervenes. Absolutely. I mean, sports are certainly you know one example of this, but as you just mentioned, I mean, falls, motor vehicle accidents, those are very common things that occur, unfortunately in people's lives and if you and it doesn't have to be that all of these things happen within a month or something i mean we're talking about over a span of a long period of time if you don't uh, fully recover say from your second or your third concussion well it's it's difficult to get back to where you were before and and perhaps that triggers something in the brain perhaps that leads to a cascade of of worsening uh, kind of symptoms and neurodegenerative changes. I mean, that's speculative, but that's one idea, that if you have all of these injuries after one point, it sort of triggers something off a cascade, and, and it gets worse from there. Um, I do agree also with, you know, using common sense uh, sort of protection. Uh, it's, it's important to, to try to avoid head-to-head tackling as much as possible. At least that's the current recommendation in amateur sports. Um, it's, it's important to... Uh, to do, you know, common sense measures, uh, common sense measures. But the other thing I wanted to mention also was that there are some uh, companies that are working on new types of helmets, and um, that might be another way to go. Um, there are um, there are different approaches to this, but one approach is, of course, to have um, more potent helmets so that they can take the impact of the hit and not transmit the force so much to the brain. So that's one option. There's another approach, which is to actually, uh, believe it or not, change the amount uh, of blood flow in your brain, so kind of clamping the jugular vein such that the flow changes in the brain so that there's actually more cushion for the brain to float on, more fluid to float on, so to speak. Uh, There are many different approaches, but, I mean, that might be another way to go in the future. But until we we get there, um, it's important to use common sense measures. Absolutely. Adam, I'm curious because a couple of years ago we had a guest on and we've had Dr. Sloan on, but we've also had uh, one of my colleagues on, Dr. William Tsushima, and he was working with some of the, uh, he was doing some research with some of our uh, summer student research uh, students that would come by and they were looking at cognitive scores. They would give an exam prior to somebody starting sports in seventh or eighth grade and then do the exam a couple of years periodically after that and try and track and see if there was any change in some one's cognitive ability and any time they had a concussion to really try and track and monitor that. And I'm wondering, what else do you see? Jane brought up some great suggestions, equipment fitting. What other things do you think people ought to know about concussions that might not be something that comes to mind right now, but could really help their kids in the future? Um, I think one of the biggest things to remember in general about concussions is that they're all different. Um, one of the things that I run into most often is a parent will come up to me after the game and say, oh, well, my brother had a concussion when he played high school sports, and it seemed way worse than that, and he was completely fine. Why isn't my kid fine right now? So I find myself over and over repeating, um, you know, you can't lump them all together. You know, the brain in its healthy state is an enigma, right? So when you add pathology to that, it really just kind of throws everything up in the air. So it's, I mean, it's, it's humbling, definitely, and it's difficult sometimes to admit as a healthcare professional that even you don't know exactly what's going on but I think that's the most powerful message that you know you just you just have to pay attention and be patient 
and not, you know, not rush the whole thing. So let recovery happen when it's ready to happen. Yeah, absolutely. And particularly, and in, in Dr. Vishnavi, you've also echoed this, try not to get injured again. I mean, accidents happen, and clearly we understand that. But I'm curious, currently right now with the varsity team football at St. Francis, mm -hmm. if you had a student that, I don't know if you guys play games on weekends, let's pretend you do. Okay, so if you had a student who was injured and had a concussion, how long should they be out of the game if they did lose consciousness, maybe for a minute or two, and think they feel better, but are still having some symptoms of headaches, how long would you have that student out? Well, if they are diagnosed with a concussion, they automatically are removed from participation and have to go through a standardized return-to-play protocol, um, regardless of you know the variety and signs and symptoms of severity. Like it could be, it could be one one thing, you know, a headache on a scale of two out of ten, right? But if that's persistent and if that's not going away, then I personally am always gonna um, err on the side of caution. You know, better safe than sorry in the in the case of a brain, especially a child's brain at this point. Sure. OK, because that's the real idea is this is when they're growing. I mean, absolutely. They're, certainly we don't want brain trauma for adults, but children with growing brains, that becomes an issue with long term effects as well. We've got time for one more caller. We have Robbie on the phone from the Big Island. Robbie, welcome to The Body Show. Hey, good evening. Um, the reason I'm calling you is my son, uh, two months ago, uh, was in an automobile accident and um, was concussed as a result of a um, one of those defective Takata airbags. And you guys kind of broached the subject a little bit earlier in the program where you were talking about medications that may not be, have been developed specifically for traumatic head injuries but for other conditions, but may have applications for dealing with some of the symptoms that are exhibited when a person is concussed. Um, interestingly enough, um, I received a magazine uh, in the mail yesterday. They were talking about a antihypertensive medication. Uh, I don't know if I'm pronouncing it correctly, called Telmisartan, spelled T-E-L-M-I-S-A-R-T-A-N. You did pretty and well, Telmisartan. You got it. Okay. Okay, well, somebody published a study saying that um, it may have applications for um, reducing inflammation uh, that occurs in the brain as a result of the traumatic brain injury. My experience has been that, you know, when I see a physician myself and I bring up something like this that appears in a lay publication, oftentimes physicians are somewhat reluctant, and I, I understand why, to prescribe a medication or a prescription medication off-label. So my question would be, what could a patient do, like for you as a physician, if someone came and approached you, what could they say that would convince you to at least consider um, using one of these medications that may have the applicable and um, uh, using it off-label? And um, I can take my, uh, my answer off the air. Okay. Well, it's a really good question, Robbie, because I think, you know, I'm going to put uh, Dr. Sandeep, you and I are in the hot seat. Adam gets to get out of the hot seat on this one. And, uh, you know, part of the trouble with reading something in the lay 
um, literature and in the public literature is, is there a medical research that has been done? Has the trial been done correctly? Is it our gold standard double-blinded control trial that we look at? And were the findings applicable to that particular situation? Because you're absolutely right. Sometimes there's great information out there and it hasn't yet become mainstream, but could something be tried? Um, even if it wasn't FDA approved to use what is traditionally a blood pressure medication for something like a traumatic brain injury. You know, would that be something that you or your son of age would be willing to consent to? And if so, you know, what are what do the medical studies show? So my first thought when people come in with things like that is, hey, where's the science behind it? And if that's applicable, could this be tried? And what is the time frame from which we would expect to see a benefit or not? And what are the potential risks and benefits of the medicine? So, you know, it really is a conversation that has more than just one, oh, you read it in the paper, let's try it kind of aspect. But I certainly didn't get the impression that that's what you would do, Robbie. I think you put a lot of thought, time and effort in thinking about this and really wanted to get an educated answer about it. I'm curious, you know, Dr. Vaishnavi, you mentioned some of the medicines that are used somewhat off-label per se for different types of aspects of traumatic brain injury. In this situation, what would you do if somebody came in and said, I want to try some medication that's used for another condition and see if it helps my, my son or loved one. And let's just, for the sake of argument, pres- presume they're over 18. Right. I think my approach would be similar to what you just mentioned. Um, I think it's important to keep an open mind and to look at the literature, but we don't want to just go ahead and prescribe something which is based on maybe one small study that just happened to be um, presented in the lay press. Because like any, you know, any situation like this, you have to look at pros and cons, risks and benefits, risks and rewards. And so it could be that this particular medicine showed some benefit, perhaps in a particular study, but the risk could be quite significant. And, uh, and in an individual case, I mean, you're looking at a person's life here, obviously, and not just a study. And so when you're, when you're treating a patient in front of you, you want to say, well, I want to give you the, the medicine that has the best evidence base behind it. And that's typically what I would want to do. And uh, sometimes that could be a medicine that was developed for another condition, but there is evidence in this particular field. So I'll give you an example. So propranolol is a medicine, it's an antihypertension blood pressure medicine. Uh, that's used for multiple things. It's used for migraine prevention, for example. It's also used in uh, terms of aggression and agitation. And there's actually a good literature on that. And so we can apply that literature to uh, agitation and aggression after traumatic brain injury. So it is off-label. I mean, it's not specifically indicated by the FDA for uh, traumatic brain injury, but there is a, a compendium of literature. I mean, there are a number of studies that have been done. There's a, uh, there's a history behind it of that particular medicine. So I would be comfortable, for example, in that case, to using this medicine off-label. But if it's a, a new medicine that doesn't have much of a history, that there are not many randomized controlled trials, uh, then I would be hesitant because you don't want to experiment on your on your patient necessarily. Um, so in in the traumatized brain, we actually talk about a lot of these medicines that that are used for other conditions, but they have enough of an evidence base that we would actually recommend it for certain aspects of traumatic brain injury. All right. And with that, I can't believe the hour has pretty much almost gone up. Again, the traumatized brain, Dr. Sandeep Vishnavi, thanks so much for sharing your expertise with us and staying up late here with us in the islands. And again, Adam Slabicki, thank you so much for coming on air and also for all the hard work you do at St. Francis. 
And Thank keep you. in mind, uh, thanks thanks for being on. If you'd like to hear us again, you can click on our podcast, hawaiipublicradio.org. Our engineer is David Chong. Our executive producer, Beth Ann Kozlovich. I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak. We'll see you next week right here on The Body Show. See you then. Thank you.